This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Well, thanks for tuning in again. We're in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be looking at the latter portion of that chapter in our study today. Thanks so much for joining me. So I'm going to read verses 35 and 36 to get us started here. Hebrews 10, verses 35 and 36. Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. So a Christian has every reason to be confident in Christ. Just listen to the confidence in Paul's voice. I'm going to jump over to 2 Timothy for just a moment. Uh, But I think reading this passage helps us understand a little bit better what the Hebrew writer is talking about in chapter 10, what we just read. So this is Paul in 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. He says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And I think that's a great passage to show his confidence. That's confidence. And a faithful master who's going to be true to his word. The Lord, the righteous judge, he will award me on that day. You know, Paul said to another young evangelist named Titus in Titus chapter 1 and verse 2 that God cannot lie. He cannot lie. It's against his nature. He always tells the truth. And it may not seem like like it at first, but again, Paul's words help us understand the Holy Spirit's warning to us through the Hebrew letter regarding confidence. Don't throw it away. You see, these individuals were on the cusp of, of throwing away their confidence. And the writer is saying, that would be foolish. God is going to be true to his word, but you have to be true to yours. And so Paul knew that in order to be confident, to, to be able to say what he said, he had to fight the good fight. Notice the metaphors that he uses there. He says, I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the course. And that is the same metaphor that the Hebrew writer is using when he says in chapter 10, you have need of endurance in verse 35. And he's talking about finishing the course, running the race to completion and doing your very best. And so my confidence in God and my assurance that he will fulfill his promise of eternal salvation when my time here is done, that that assurance is contingent, that confidence is contingent on my obedience to his will. In other words, if I'm not obeying God from my heart, then I can't have confidence. I have no right or reason to believe that he will save me in the end. Now, maybe you've been taught to think that if there are any conditions or if any obedience is necessary on an individual's part to be in a right relationship with God, well, then that would be earning salvation some way or salvation by works kind of system. But I just want to direct your eyes back to verse 36. If you are inclined to think that way, or maybe you've been taught that way or brought up that way, I just want you to look at verse 36 in Hebrews chapter 10 for just a moment and pay special note of the sequence of events that's being laid out there. So look at the order here in verse 36. So the same argument, the the writer is saying you need to persevere, you need to endure, so that after you have done God's will, you will receive what he has promised. Now, I didn't make the sequence that way. That's just how it's written in the scripture. But I'm going to emphasize that one word, after. After you have done God's will, 
you will receive what is promised. So one throws away his or her confidence when they refuse or neglect to what? Do the will of God. And so there are conditions God has set before us. He desires his people to be faithful. And those who are not will not receive what was what is promised. And so such a person cannot say along with Paul, I have fought the good fight. Right? So Paul is just giving an honest assessment as he's looking back over his life. He knows the end is near. And he is objectively and conscientiously telling Timothy what what he's done and where his heart is and why he has confidence and looking forward to the award that Jesus is going to give him. The crown laid up for him, as he says. And it's because he knew that he had done his very best to be obedient. And I think if you study Hebrews chapter 10 and, and really all of the New Testament, I'm confident that you're going to see the same teaching. And the reason for these warnings, many warnings that we have in Hebrews chapter 10. Let's continue reading now in verses 26 and 27. Hebrews 10 and verses 26 and 27. So here the writer says, If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. So God's people are not immune to temptation. Notice the we in that verse 26. Well, who's he talking about here? Who's the subject? Well, he's including himself as an inspired writer, first of all, among his brethren. He's talking to Christians. He is a Christian. He's talking to other Christians, and he's saying we can go on sinning deliberately after knowing the truth. And so the implication is we're not immune to temptation, we're not immune to sin, and we're not immune to the consequences simply because we have professed Jesus as the Christ. In other words, we need to continue drawing near to Him, and we have to continue with penitent hearts and confessing our sins to Him so that we can stay in fellowship with Him and be blameless. 1 John 1, verses 8-10. through 10. Right? If we say we have no sin, we lie, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so the Hebrew writer here wants us to take ownership, and he wants us to face reality. I think that's what the Holy Spirit is saying here. And it really it's what he's been doing from the outset of this letter, as he's writing again to these folks that were being squeezed very hard and, and pushed and persecuted to turn away from following Christ. For example, in chapter 3, he says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in, in you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, in verse 12. So any doctrine that would have you believe that you have somehow risen above temptation or, you don't, or you're not able to sin anymore, I believe that's anti-biblical and would not be supported in any way, shape, or form by scriptures, to my knowledge. And that would include doctrines that say a Christian can never fall from God's grace. Paul addresses that specifically in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4 when he's writing to professing Christians who were uh, at some point made the decision, well, we need to start trying to be justified by law. And specifically, circumcision was the, the point of contention there. And Paul says, if you receive circumcision, then you have been severed from Christ. You have fallen from grace if you're trying to be justified in that way. And so the Holy Spirit is clearly setting forth 
an expectation of conduct here. And he wants us to remember that the fight's not over, that the race isn't run, and that you have to live a life of faithfulness and continually draw near to God. Or else you go the other way and you go on sinning willfully. There's no gray area there. Sin will not be tolerated. The one who obstinately continues in it has no hope of heaven, even though he may have once been bought with the precious blood of Christ, even though he had once been sanctified or she had knew the spirit of grace. By continuing in sin, this is what the Hebrew writer says you're doing. Look at verse 29. It says of those individuals, they've trampled underfoot the Son of God and have regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace. Now, to human ears, those are going to be strong words. But God desires his people to have no illusions. And I think that's one of the reasons, I, th- I think that's a reason to love him all the more, as we see in Scripture, that just he speaks forcefully and definitively about the promises of heaven and all the wonderful things that await and the spiritual blessings that are found in in Christ, but he speaks just as forcefully and just as definitively about the consequences of continuing in sin, even for his own people. And he's always been that way. He's so perfectly uh, transparent. What he's revealed, he's revealed for a purpose, and he doesn't want us to be confused. He doesn't want us to be groping around in the dark. He wants us to know him and his expectations and the wonderful blessings that are found in Christ. But also that means he's not going to pull any punches with regard to the consequences of rejecting him. Too much is at stake. Too much is at stake. Look at verse 31. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And remember, he's speaking to Christians. So do we need to get squeamish whenever the preacher starts talking about the reality of hell? Well, no, it's right there in the Bible, and it's there for a reason. Now, this particular audience had to be reminded of their previous praiseworthy conduct in verse 32. Remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. And so they were once willing to suffer. They were willing to be abused, and they were made public spectacles. They were having their property taken away from them, all because they were Christians. And the writer says they endured this joyfully. If you look there in verse 32 through 34. Now, why? Why did, why did they have that attitude? Because, verse 34, they knew they had a better and lasting possession. Right? They were focused on heaven. They were looking forward to that reward, just as Paul was. They had confidence. But now, they were letting the persecution get to them. They were being tempted to turn back to forsake assembling together, shrinking from their good confession. And so the writer says again, verse 35, we have need of endurance. Without it, we're going to lose our confidence. We'll sacrifice that in the name of comfort and compromise, maybe sometimes to in order, uh, sometimes in order to retain good relations with family or friends, And there's something to be said for that. I I know the Bible teaches in Romans 12 that insofar as it's possible, be at peace with all men 
in, in verse 18. So that's what we should be striving for. But the implication, I think, too, in that verse is that with some people, it's not going to be possible. And when they're forcing us to choose between their will and God's, well, we know what God would have us choose. We must obey Him. And some simply will not bear the truth, nor those who give their lives to truth, because it reeks of Christ. And they can't abide that. And and the Bible is saying you have to be ready for that. Christians have to be ready for that. 2 Timothy 3.12 If you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution in some shape or form. It will happen. Look at what he says next here in verse 37 and 38. Verses 37 and 38. He says, Yet in a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And so I believe what the Holy Spirit is saying is look to the future. Remember the promise of Jesus' coming. He is going to come. And remember that the remember too the reward that he is bringing with him. And you will find your reason for endurance. He says the righteous will live by faith. And they will not shrink back. This has always been true. This text that the Hebrew writer is quoting here is from Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. And indulge me for just a moment while I get a tiny bit technical. Not too much, but the the translation of faith in Habakkuk 2 and verse 4 is is sometimes debated. Some translations prefer to use the word faithfulness. So righteous ones will live by faithfulness instead of faith. And it's really splitting hairs. The Hebrew word is amunah. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but that's the root of our word Amen, and sometimes translated amen, I think, in the the Old Testament. And it's a word that Jesus used often in in his own teaching. Sometimes he would begin uh, uh, a parable or teaching by saying amen and amen, or truly, truly, I say unto you, or verily, verily, I say unto you. That's That's the Greek counterpart to that. And so it's signifying reliability and steadfastness, right? Jesus is saying this is reliable, this is accurate, this is absolutely true. Amen and amen, I'm telling you. And that's why we say it at the at the end of our prayers as as well, First Corinthians fourteen. How will anyone say Amen at the giving of your um, at the giving of thanks? And what we're saying is we are in agreement of uh, with what has been said, and it is true, and it is reliable, and this is what we want to uh, offer up to our to our God. And so maybe those connotations help us get a better idea. Ultimately, the word is signifying loyalty to the Lord's covenant. That's what faith is. It's not just something that happens in our hearts or between our ears. It is it's it's tangible and it's practical and it manifests itself in, in living. It's reliable, it's steadfast. And so the person who has true faith in God is going to remain faithful despite outward circumstances. And that's what the Hebrew writer is wanting to impress upon us. Righteous ones live by faith. The kind of faith that is pleasing to God is one that will not allow someone to shrink back and be destroyed. Verse 39. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith to the preserving of their souls. You see, by faith the righteous in Habakkuk's day would live, and this remains just as true today. The right way to live your life is by faith in Christ. Because the future doesn't lie with the passing pleasures of this world and those who are in authority now. 
but with the glory of God, His reign and His kingdom. And lasting victory isn't won by arm strength or any other kingdoms of men, but ultimate victory is God's. And He is only going to share it with His faithful. So don't shrink back to destruction. Maybe you're being squeezed or persecuted in this point in your, in your life, and uh, you know maybe it's social ostracization from work or something, or your family family members. You know whatever it is, don't throw away your confidence. Don't make that mistake. This passage is still relevant to us today. We have to fight the good fight. We need to finish the course. We need to endure because it is going to be more than worth it. And it is only by living by faith that we can have confidence. Because God's going to be true to His Word, but you must be true to yours. Verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. He is faithful. So be faithful to Him. Appreciate you tuning in. This has been Faithful Sayings. 